is up, guys? My name is Lucas. Welcome to Just Being Real, a podcast by a pastor and his wife talking about the journey and being what God called him to be, a pastor. What's up, guys? Glad you guys are here. Hope you like this podcast. Give it a subscribe. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Just Being Real, Pastor's Family Perspective. It's good to have you back. I know that a lot of you have been following us. Uh, we're, we're real excited about that. Um, we've done something a little different. We've went on location uh, today. Uh, we've got uh, with us in the studio is, um, I guess not in the studio, we're in their kitchen this time. Yeah, because my wife ratted us out on that last time. But we're in their kitchen uh, today, and we're uh, vi- or recording uh, a session with Reverend Al Wood and his son Steve Wood, Reverend Steve Wood. And so this is an exciting time for us. Uh, These are special people in our lives. Pastor Steve is on staff with me as our family life pastor at our church. And uh, his dad, well, I'm going to let his dad kind of introduce himself and give us a little back history of of his ministry and and where he has uh, pastored and all of that. So, uh, Al, would you you introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Al Wood. I'm originally from Winsboro, South Carolina. I, uh, I started out. And I knew I needed to do something different of what my brothers did. Both of my brothers graduated from the University of South Carolina with majors in accounting and engineering. Mm. I did, math was not one of my subjects. Of course, there wasn't many subjects. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my subjects. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got home. And my older brother came from the Navy and visited us there one, about three weeks before school was to start. Mm-hmm. And he, he asked me, he said, Al, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I guess I'll go to the University of South Carolina like y'all did. But the Sunday before, Trevecca Nazarene College had sent a quartet to my church. And they encouraged all of us young people, and especially those of us, that had just graduated to come to Trevecca. Mm-hmm. Now, back then, it was Trevecca College. It wasn't Trevecca University. It only had about 450 students. Dr. Mackey was the president. But so I, I, I thought about it, and I wondered what the Lord wanted me to do. And Moody Gunner, Moody's dad was the only pastor that I ever knew. He pastored my. He started my home church and pastored it for thirty nine years. And in the process, Moody came by that to visit during the summer. And Moody and Nina told me, said, "Go with us. All you gotta do is put your luggage on our car and let's go." You know. Well, to make a long story short, there were three of us from my home church. Now. It took two cars to get my daughter off to college. <laughs> and there was three of us with our all of our equipment mm. in Moody's car. <laughs> and it still wasn't completely loaded. <laughs> but anyway. Shout we went, out to his daughter, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We went to Srebeka. And I was not a good student. And in the fall revival, I really got my heart straightened out with the Lord. Mm-hmm. We had a man there that 
I had watched him go, you know, back then, people would go to you and get you to come to the altar. I mean, there were some people thought felt they were called to do that. Hmm. And that old boy, I'd watched him for two or three nights in that revival. And one night I looked, I got right in the center pews of the old College Hill Church so that he couldn't make it to me. And I look, and he's up in the pew, walking down the top of that pew, mm -hmm. coming toward. And I went out the other side mm -hmm. and went to the altar. And I really got my heart straightened out with the Lord. Mm. And from that day on, I began wondering, what 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 did you send me up here for, Lord? I'm not a good student. What's the deal? Mm. And I... Make a long story short, I just took courses that I, I liked. Didn't get very good at any of them, but I did. I finished a major in biological science, mm. but still couldn't teach because I didn't have the chemistry. Couldn't pass it. I tried it and failed. Well, while walking out after the first test, mm. well. Make a long story short, I left, married Beverly, and we left Rebecca. And I started, I went to the Boy Scouts as an executive, executive with them. And then later on, I became Minister of Music of a church. Hmm. Now, that I was good at. Okay. I don't mean to say that wrong way, but no. I could lead the congregation in singing. Amen. And I could sing myself. And my wife played piano. The Lord, I knew then why the Lord sent us up there. He used to yeah. get us together. Yeah. You know. Make a long story short, we've been married 60 years. 60 years. Now. Amen. Courted two years before that. So we've known each other for 62 years. For those who are listening and don't know what courting means, go look that up, please. <laughs> just, just go ahead. <laughs> just don't use that terminology anymore, do we? Did you know there's a lot of folks that don't court? Yeah, amen. Long enough amen. to get to really know their mate. And yeah. that's why there's so many divorces. Yeah, amen to that. You can't straighten it out once you get started. Right. Well, every time I would go to a church, I'd wind up being the minister of music. It was all part-time, and I'd work some other job. Yeah. I owned a barbershop at one time. Mm. I did all kinds of things. I even thought the Lord wanted me to go back to the farm. I took a farming job. Yeah. My wife... Stop that after the first month. But anyway. <laughs> Not God? Well, what? Not God, your wife? No, the Lord didn't have a thing to do with stopping that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she stopped that. Well, I began praying, Lord, what do you really want me to do? Hmm. And I would have given anything if he'd have come out of the clear blue sky somewhere with a bomb and dropped it on my dumb head and said, yes, I want you to preach. Yeah. You know. The music became kind of number one. Gotcha. We became evangelists. We traveled for th three years. Steve loved it. Yeah. But when our daughter came along, we tried it again. She didn't like it. She couldn't go to church every night. We mm -hmm. couldn't leave her in a trailer like we could leave Steve. Mm -hmm. You know, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
I went to a church down in South Mississippi, took the job as minister of music and Christian life director. And I worked at that job, and we did good. Mm. It was the largest church on the Mississippi District before we left there. Amen. And it was just a tremendous deal. Yeah. But we still had not done what the Lord wanted me to do completely. So I started teaching school. Well, I had taught some school in this six years, six or seven years of it. Yeah. And I started teaching school down there. And as I taught school, I still prayed, Lord, what, what is it for me? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't very long until Steve came along. And when he prayed with me, mm-hmm. we all began to realize that. You want me to preach, don't you? Amen. And so I did. I started preaching. And at first it was just a trial deal. But Mm -hmm. I realized it worked. Yeah. And the Lord was in it. I could have told you a long time before that, though, you were called. It's not my job to call anybody. But I got to be a teenager, and you were my Sunday school teacher when I was growing up. You were the minister of music, but you also taught a Sunday school class. And his gift of communication was always there. The ability, you know, to yeah. shed, spread yeah. the word and to make it understandable no matter what age group he was teaching. Mm. Prayed a bunch of teenagers through. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We prayed a bunch of them through. It's good. I took kids to the mountains on trips. Yeah. And we would do a little devotional. I'd wind up praying some of them through. Yeah. And that was 20 years for you. Before I actually answered 25, yeah. Wow. But finally, Steve and I both then were ordained. uh, I took the job as pastor and started pastoring a church and teaching school. And by the way. And going through the course of study. There's a lot of these little churches you got to do that. Right, right. Every church doesn't have the money to pay for a full-time pastor. Correct, yeah. And people need to understand when every preacher, when he goes to college, And I've said this to some of the college presidents, and they don't listen to me. But they need to make sure that that preacher has a degree in something else. Right. That he would enjoy doing along with pastoring. Mm. Now it's a little different because back then we had to preach three times a week. Right. You know, it wasn't like it is now. Right. Back then you preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Yep. Thank the Lord I had Dr. Leon Chambers in my church part of the time down there in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I'd use him on one of those Sunday sermons every Sunday, just about it. Uh, it. Had it not been for that, I'd have done a lot of preparation. Yeah, And I would have preached a lot of the same things mm-hmm. over and over, and I'm sure our people got tired of hearing some of the same things over and over. So this was your, your first pastor as a, as a senior pastor? As a senior pastor. And yeah. where, where was this church at? Down Magnolia, Mississippi. My home church. Magnolia. Oh, okay. And this is your wife's home church. church. Okay. Her mother was still in that church. And Mm. and my brother-in-law, Leon Chambers, was the one that he was talking about. Okay. Yeah, he and Dr. Mildred taught college in that area. Understand. And so he was a member of, he taught college as a seminary. Yeah. Wesley Biblical Seminary. Jackson. Wesley Biblical Seminary. Mm -hmm. Okay. In Jackson. So tell, tell me a little bit about that, that first church for you as, as the, the pastor. What, what expectations did you have going in as being the senior pastor? 
I don't know whether I had any expectations or not. I think the people had more. What kind of expectations do you think they had? I think they wanted to see a decent-sized church. But it being a little small town, about 60 or 70 was as big as it was going to ever be. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so I had to somewhere down the line make up my mind that that was the situation that, yeah. uh, you know. And then later on, I'd pastored two and a half, three years, I guess. Steve had pastored on the Mississippi District at the same time. Okay. And we both wound up for our ordination to come up at the same time. Okay. And we are the, as far as I know, we're the only father-son team that's ever been ordained, ordained at the same altar. Yeah. And if you want something to tear you up, mm. have a tender heart like mine, I know I'm big and ugly, but I sure... <laughs> you have a tender heart like mine, and then you watch your son. Yeah. Pray that yeah. prayer of yeah. total commitment to the Lord. Amen. Amen to that. And it did me about as much good to watch him as it did me to do mine. <laughs> you know. Well, let's let's bring Steve into the picture here. Steve, yeah. uh, introduce, of course, yourself and uh, let him know your your relationship here. But uh, give us an idea of your ministry, where it's and get us up to that point of this ordination. I um, my my experience has been kind of Ned Nazarene, um, as far as for our denomination. I mean, I was saved at a youth camp and started following Christ there. And when I was 16, and sanctified um, when I was 18, um, started at Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee for my first year, um, thought I was going to be, because I wasn't a very good student, <laughs> thought I was going to be a minister of music, did music major, um, church music major is what we called it back then. And then I turned around <clears throat> and went, felt like God wanted me to be out at Mid-America Nazarene University. Um, the president of Mid-America back then, Dr. Curtis Smith, we had done a revival with when I was a child. Um, two or three of them, yeah. Two or three revivals and camp meetings with him. And he would write me letters every five or six years. He would send me a note and say, just wanted to check on you and your mom and your dad and hope everything's going good. Hope to see you at Mid-America someday. And it would just come out of the blue. It wasn't any, no certain time that he would send it. It just seemed to come at, um, you know, five or six times through my teen years. And so finally, um, when I get out to Mid-America, again, I'm still a church music major, and I changed my major probably six different times, and finally accepted a call to preach on a Sunday night when Dr. Paul Cunningham was preaching. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I came out of the, I remember coming out of the choir loft, and I was at Morrow's Nut House, my part-time job in the mall. And I actually knelt down in the back storeroom after I had made some fudge. I remember the fudge I made. And I knelt down there and um, told the Lord I would do it because I was scared um, yeah. of having to. Sure. To, so then I went through the process of just regularly working um, to get myself to work, you know, to graduate as a minister. So I graduated college, and then I took my first church in Jackson, Mississippi, where my uncle was serving at the seminary, and Dad was pastoring in South Mississippi. And I pastored there. Um, as first a lead pastor of a very small opportunity yeah. church. And for all uh, those pastors out there, you got that joke right there. I know you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a great opportunity. And um, 
so we f- then I wound up pastoring um, as an associate pastor, minister of music, preaching on Sunday morning for a wonderful guy. Um, his name was um, Richard Boone. He's gone to heaven since then. And his son is a pastor now in Mississippi. But Richard was just an incredible um, guy, and he had had throat cancer. Mm. So he needed me to preach on Sunday night for him. And then I also wound up doing some Wednesday night Bible studies for him and also doing youth and music. <laughs> and so it was kind of a doing it all. Yeah. And then um, I went from there as the lead pastor in Dixburg, Mississippi. Okay. And um, that was my first um, church that I really experienced a, um opportunity for uh, extreme personal growth um, mm-hmm. because there's always, a, and it, well, I don't think it was the church as much as it was, I wasn't quite, I mean, I'm young and I'm dumb and think I know all the answers. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just a, it was a time where, I mean, I really got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, let, let me know it for sure. And it drove me to my knees. Yeah. yeah. And um, from there, now this is where things changed. We moved out from there I wound up coming back, um, and that's where Dad and I got ordained together. Okay, was when I was pastoring in Dixburg in 1989. Okay, and um, and I was there from 89 to 91, and um, I did not work outside the church at that point, like I do, like I have the last 25 years. Right. Um, that kind of really what drove me working outside the church, like Dad was saying, where I had to was benefits. Yeah. Health insurance. Health insurance. The right. church was providing it for me at that point, but um, we get here in 91, and that's when the health insurance just went out of the roof. You know, cost, I think it went from six or 700 a month. The church was paying it. And I want to say it went to 12, 14, 1500. Mm. It was just astronomical to jump in, in a couple of years. And the church knew I had to work then outside. Yeah. But I always pastored. I've always yeah. pastored somewhere. Well, it's funny you said that you you felt uh, you know music ministry was and and your dad is yeah. said that as well. Did you see anything as you were growing up? Do you feel like that that was a big influence on you? Oh, big time, yeah, big time. Because you know when we see a huge move of the spirit, it's usually during the musical service. Yeah. I mean, we as pastors now always want that to happen while we're preaching, right? And it does, but we always. It's like we, when we're at church now, and since God moving, it's like um, Pastor Zach sets the stage. Yeah, you know, kind of brings everybody to the table mm-hmm. for us to preach. Right, and um, same thing. He had always had that same philosophy. Yeah, you know, of ministry that it was the job of the of the minister of music to kind of prepare the people's hearts, yeah. make them fertile. Was there anything that you saw growing up um, as a pastor's kid? Um, that that really um, you know was troublesome for you, in, in in just as you viewed it. I we they were so open and honest with me. Um, I knew that churches weren't perfect, mm-hmm. and that they were made up of imperfect people, um, and the pastors pastors weren't perfect, and we were we were imperfect. And I did see I saw them hurt um, when people would be n- harsh. For some reason or another, they didn't like something that they did. They didn't like something they said, or they got blamed sometimes for stuff that maybe they didn't do, right. or misinterpretation of what Dad said. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would actually see I'd see Mom cry. I've seen Dad hurt, but instead of getting bitter, they were both filled with the Spirit and they prayed through on it. Yeah. And it never was. There was never. Yes, there was honesty. And I saw this, 
the honesty that said, okay, this isn't right. Um, why would they do that? But the honesty came through when they would finally, I would either see them praying through on their own or their attitude mm-hmm. had changed. And instead of it being a nervousness or apprehension, there was just love coming through them to the people. Yeah. And um, yeah. So, so we were really blessed on that part. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, well, it's good. Um, I was wondering as we were talking uh, about that. Um, so feeling the call, you know, and, and, and kind of following maybe just per, per se in your dad's footsteps and such. Um, you know, Al, did you, did you ever want your kids to go into ministry? No. <laughs> and every one of them, yeah. including the grandchildren. Think yes. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I got, well, I got two grandsons in the ministry now mm-hmm. and well, AC is so, you know, um, federal law enforcement. Yeah, federal law enforcement is ministry. Amen. Amen uh, to that. Yeah. And so, the really, the whole family yeah. is into the ministry. Yeah. And I got two more grandsons coming along that I got to feel it. Great grandsons. You said grandsons. Well, Great grandsons. Well, we got two more down there in, in, oh, in Coleman. Coleman. In Coleman. Yeah. Coming along. Right. That's going to be, one of them graduated from high school last year, mm-hmm. and the other one has two more years. Yeah. Well, he's already, and the AJ has already baptized, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I so, so in regards to that, then, um, you know, uh, what, as you were getting into ministry and, and especially dealing with the church, how, how did you, how did you navigate being that, that, that father husband dynamic and being a pastor was there ever any conflict in the midst of those things sure there was some conflict but you like steve said you get on your knees and work it out yeah yeah that's the key right there if you got good religion you're not going to let conflict get to the point that it becomes a real problem right if it does then you got a problem yourself, you know, yeah. you got to get, you got to, you got to work some things out. Right. It. And the Lord will help you do it. If you'll stay tuned to him. I don't know why I keep thinking of that phrase. Instead of getting bitter, we should get better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I almost said that. A minute and that's ago. it yeah. right there. Yeah. You've got that. that we even cue. experienced together. God healing us of racial, racial prejudice. I mean, when you grow up in the South, like we did, there's a natural prejudice. Now, nobody ever burned crosses at our house, and nobody ever, but there was racial stuff that went on, and we served in the South almost our entire ministry, both of us. And we've talked about the fact about, um, if, had it not been for promise keepers, mm. um, one of my sons wouldn't be my son right now. Right. Um, because we looked at human beings different by the color of their skin. Yeah. Um, and the Lord helped me at Promise Keepers. He put me right beside a big black guy. Yeah. And that big black guy had fought the same battle yeah. with the big white guys right. that I'd fought with the big black guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you get up Both from, about the, same from the altar, and if you don't hug their neck, something's wrong with you. There you go. Yeah, and I there saw that. I saw that healing come. And, yeah. um And it set us up for the stage of what God was going to do later 
which was the church plant that we had that was really not a church plant. The district called it that. But it was just a movement. It was just a God moment of where we happened to be at a place and a time, and Dad supported me and Mom supported me, um, and my wife was teaching school, and kids, and it was a youth group that started growing, and Dad would teach the people on Wednesday night at the little Nazarene church that I was pastoring in Mm -hmm. Huntsville. And I would go out on Wednesday night to a rec center in the community we were living in, and it just went from like six kids to probably at one time there was 116 teenagers on Wednesday night. Wow! And they're just—it just happened. It just—it was really not like he when you said, "Did we plan intentionally?" Right. A lot of times when God was doing stuff for us, it just seemed to be if we were doing what God wanted, it just seemed to happen. It was more than you were able to comprehend for a while yeah yeah we just couldn't you believe don't. it yeah um, you, you don't know what to do you parents know. kept coming going where's your church at i want to come to your church and then i'd tell them it was way in town and then i knew you know they weren't gonna make that 30 mile trek in in city so ultimately we wound up starting a church in the school and um yeah. did that for three years and um and again yeah, i did it with no pay he got a little bit of pay but i didn't <laughs> And there's no resentment there, right? Not a bit. No, not a bit. I get you. In fact, they did something. In fact, I paid my tithe, so make sure he there you go, there you got paid. Yeah. yeah, actually, you paid me. Yeah, but, I paid him, really. Yeah. He, um, he did something during that time that was even more of a testament of getting real. Yeah. He was trying to lead the music for me in a church plant. And Mom was playing the keyboards. Well, we kept trying to switch toward contemporary style music trying to switch toward contemporary music. Mm-hmm. And finally, one Sunday night, we were eating dinner together, and he and Mom, Lois had told me in private, she said, Honey, you are going to have to start doing this music because said your dad, he can't get the, the contemporary stuff. He likes it, but he can't, right. you know. And sure enough, that the God had spoke to them because that same Sunday night, they look at me and Dad goes, Son, you're going to have to start leading this thing, this music, because he goes, it's just, he goes, I'll help you. I'll do anything I can. I'll pray for you. Um, but he goes, it's just not in my wheelhouse. Right. And um, and it was amazing because... It, and I still like Amazing Grace. <laughs> yeah, I even one time walking in, he was singing an old Gaither song mm-hmm. as we were walking into this school auditorium that we were setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down. And I heard him singing that Gaither song. And I go, hey. I said, why in the world are you here? I said, you'd rather have hymns. You'd rather have Gaither. You love all that stuff? He goes, yeah, I grew up with it. And then he pointed up there on the stage. He goes, but look up there. Yeah. He goes, there's my two grandsons up there who are excited about being at church. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. yeah. Amen. So, so that Amen. was the attitude. I, that was the yeah. how I And knew. I was raised up in a town. We had a family lived across the creek from us. And they, they were friends of ours. Had 18 children, black family. Lived in a little four-room house. Wow. With 18 children. And did you know I could be friends with them in private and out at our farms, you know. But I couldn't go to church with them and I didn't go to school with them. Yeah. And the, the school I went to, you could see the little black school across the way. Really? Wow. And the buses that we had when they'd get too old for us. They'd go over to the black school. Yeah. And after a while, God began to. He made it, even when I was a teenager. Yeah. 
He made sure that I understood the difference. Started, uh, started on your heart. You know, yeah, started that there was a, something wrong. There was something wrong. Yeah, amen. You know, amen. That word N-I-G-G-E-R was yeah. used regularly. Right. And it didn't take long till I looked at one of those boys that, of those 18, year, 18 children. Yeah. One time when something was said and the word N-I-G-G-E-R. Yeah. And I saw his eyes. Yeah. And I never used it again after that. Right, right. Never used it again because I saw his eyes and it hurt him. Yeah. You know. Wow. So, and, and that was back before the days of Martin Luther King and all of the things. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. See, I saw all that come through. Wow. Live, you know. Yeah. I watched that bombing go on. A little bit of television we did have in black and white. Yeah. I watched that bombing in Birmingham go on that wow. killed all those people. Yeah. Man. And so our ministry was always wrapped up around all this because here we're preaching, you know, total love, perfect right. love. Right. Cast out all fear. But yet our churches, it was so difficult to get them to the point, except for that last church and the church I serve now, to get them to the point where it really was a feeling of total inclusiveness. We're all people. Right. Um, and even All color. All colors. Mm -hmm. That church in Mississippi that I was talking about that we pastored, the largest church on that district. Yeah. It was, it was without a doubt, it had more potential than any small paying church because they didn't raise a whole lot of funds being in Mississippi. You know? Right, right. But that church is not even in existence today. Yeah. It was our size, church our size. Wow. And it was church the size that you're pastoring right now. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it had people. Now, you, you got one or two tithers that pay more tithe yeah. than that church raised in a whole year. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you now, and the whole problem centers around the fact the community around it turned black. Yeah. And they didn't want them. Wow. So, so you saying the church closed down or it moved? It's closed. It's closed down. It's completely existence. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My little home church in Magnolia, Mississippi, is still like ten miles below. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's still in existence, but that one is not. We've talked a lot now in our lives now, and think and wonder: Can God's hand of blessing help a church when it still feels that way? Yeah. You know. And yeah. that's if I could say anything to the people I've pastored is in this day and age that we're in right now with all this racial stuff is there's got to be just, you got to check ourselves. Some, yeah. Check you ourselves. You got to do some praying. I never yeah. will forget the Sunday that uh, some black people, a black family, was it a black man yeah. and wife came to our church because we were showing a film and they wanted to see the film and see if it would work in their church. He and was a pastor. He was a pastor and very nicely dressed people. And it was it was in my home church. It was really upset me. And some of our white ladies got up and walked out because they came. And we're yeah. talking in 1980s. Yeah. Yep. It just yeah. it's tore me up. Yeah. Yeah. walked out. Well, I tell you. Um, it tore me up. I, I, I concur with both of your sentiments in, in regards to this. And, you know, um, in, in the culture we live in today, it's hard to believe that we're still 
dealing to some degree with this we, racial aspect. And I guarantee you still fought it when you were in Ohio, didn't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. See, that's what's so tragic. Yeah. It's not just in the South. No. No, it's we, not. We feel like it is, you know. Yeah, because yeah, we grew up here. But we grew up here, you know. Right. We know what it is. Right. But here we find out the North is fighting mm-hmm. almost a bigger problem than we fight. Right, right. You know, and it and, all, and I, and I almost expect the fight to happen. If we're getting real, I almost expect it to happen in people who don't claim Jesus, right? People who aren't saying they're redeemed and a follower of Christ, right? But re, if we claim it, and then we're still having some of these issues in our in ourselves, and the real issue came for me was when Tony Evans said at Promise Keepers, Doctor Tony Evans from the Urban Alternative in Dallas, Texas. When he said, there are some of you in this audience tonight who would rather your child marry, and I, I just had two, two sons who were very young, marry somebody who's not a Christian but looks the same as you. Um, it would bother you more if they married somebody who was black. If, so he said, if there's any Even if they dads, were a Christian. Yeah. Right. He said, if there's any dads here and you've got a white daughter and she brings home a black um, boyfriend, and he is an incredible believer in Christ, you'll have a problem with it. He goes, then if that bothers you, then there's still some work to be done. Yeah. And he said the same thing to the African-American men in the population yeah. that night. And that work's got to be done on your knees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. amen to that. Yeah. That's where the work's got to be. Well, I can't get on my knees anymore, but I can do a lot of it sitting in Amen. my chair. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, I think you're you're meaning that metaphorically too. I mean, yeah. that's just the idea of praying. Yeah. Hey, well, let me uh, let me do a little switch here, um, and uh, I wanted to because uh, because we do like to bring a little bit of humor to the aspect of of this podcast and and hearing some of the the funny stories uh, that might have taken place. And so I, I'd love to hear, we'll, we'll let you go first. I'd love to hear maybe something uh, that, uh, you know, just when you think about it, it's, it's probably one of the most funniest things that's ever happened to you in ministry or maybe as a father. Um, share, would, you, would you be willing to share with us a, a humorous story? I preached a funeral a while back, and the funeral was of a little girl that had been in a wheelchair all of her life. Mm. She rode home from me in the afternoon from school in my old pickup, Datsun pickup truck. Now, you can imagine, it, it literally was a Datsun night. It wasn't a night, Nissan. It, it was one of those old ones. Okay. You know? And in the summertime in South Mississippi, you got to have the windows down because it wasn't in the air conditioning, you know, and all. And she talked constantly. And I never heard a word. She said, till I'd get to a stop sign. And there wasn't but one stop sign between Osaka and Magnolia, Mississippi. <laughs> so really, I never heard much of what she said. And in the sermon that I preached in her funeral, I preached her funeral. They called me back mm. to come back to the church to preach her funeral. And I told that story. And those people just died laughing. And when they got through, somebody looked at me and said, I can't believe we laughed at a funeral. I said, folks, listen, if you're not prayed up to the point that you can un- hear something that's funny yeah. and laugh, or if you're serious, cry, yeah. something's wrong. Right. You need to do a little checking up. Amen. That one was 
Amen. I think the funniest thing I... Tell them what she was like, though. Tell them about Kelly, what she was like. Oh, Kelly was a sight. She was something else. Her mother's still living, by the way. Her mother has two children that are still alive, but she lost two to disease. Uh, Kelly was one of those people that she could get kids told in a New York minute, even though she was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And she probably didn't weigh when she died. She was, what, 18 or 20, something like that. Probably didn't weigh 55, 60 pounds at the most. Wow. But she'd get the kids told, man, if they said something to her wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah. I went out one day. I went out the front door of the school, and I look, and she's rolling down the walk in front of the school, headed toward a drop-off. By herself. By herself, and nobody's caught her. Come to find out later, somebody had pushed that chair. Oh, she was in a wheelchair. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. see. I see. Somebody had pushed that chair. Yeah. Because I ran down. I ran flying down through it. Oh, I caught the chair. I said, and on the way back in, I said, Kelly, darling, you're in a wheelchair, but you're gonna have to learn to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. Because I knew exactly what had happened. She had mouthed at one of those girls. Yeah. And it happened to be a black girl, by the way. Yeah. She would mouthed at that black girl. And that black girl took all she was going to take. She just turned her loose toward well, that drop-off and up, <laughs> let her go, you know. That's good. I told that one at her funeral, too. Yeah. And oh, my. Of course, yeah. everybody down there, you know, they, they didn't think that was too nice. What about but, in Lynette, Alabama, in the valley? They call it the valley now when you got called in the church office because the pastor's dog had gotten hit by a car and its brain was kind of messed up and they needed somebody, they would call y'all and say, Brother Wood, could you come turn Homer over? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Homer, if Homer got... He was a beagle, a basset hound beagle. Be, yeah, or a basset or something. And if he'd gotten laid down on one side, you had to come turn him over. <laughs> and so they would call the pastors from and they, the church. Yeah, they would call the church. And want the pastors to come and turn and the dog. And want us to go down there and turn him over. And it was know. usually the sweet ladies from church. Hey, Homer's over here on our street and he's turned over and can't get up. Can can't somebody get up. come turn him over? Of course, I'd go get him and bring him back home, you know. So when you when you were at school training to be a minister, was was there a class that you oh, took? Oh, yeah, really? they had a lot of classes. Turning over Homer? Covered good stuff yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you another one. Okay. I worked with a pastor one time. Remember now, I was an associate for about 20 years before the Lord ever called me to preach. Yeah. And I was working with a pastor one time, and that nut followed me around to see if I had actually made the calls that I had written down on my sheet. Mm. Yeah. So they don't teach that either. They don't teach that. That's right. They don't cover stuff like that. No. You know. (laughs) They don't cover the stuff that, that... some pastor that that don't know what he's doing, but he's got associates, you know. Right. And we've seen some of them. Yep. I understand. You know, Careful. Here in Huntsville before. Right. You know. Right. But Steve, how about you? I um, yeah. My biggest story, and the last time I told this, my buddy in Kentucky made me tell it to the general superintendent and to the president of Mount Vernon, and. Um, Again, they don't prepare you for it. I'm in my very first church, and I have a retired pastor's wife. And she, just for some reason one day, decided 
that she was going to let my wife know that the church paid me too much. And of course, I think it was $200 a week I was getting paid and that I was getting paid too much and that I needed to go do something else. It was my first opportunity um, of ministry. And, and so um, she became my buddy later on. But after this, I finally, I got with, with, with this lady and I said, now listen, I said, um, I took her in my office and my office was about as big as, as a dining room table because it was a little <laughs> tiny church. Yeah. And I remember I said, now listen, you, we can't talk. We can't talk to my wife like that. She wasn't raised in a pastor's home. She doesn't understand that people may just say some things sometimes and it hurt people's feelings. Yeah. Filters are broke. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And so finally, um, I remember her standing there and she was a very short lady, came up to about my armpit and she was about as wide as she is tall. And she played all, the piano for the church. And a former pastor's wife. Yeah, yeah, I said that. Okay. And um, always looked like she was going bird hunting. Now, what I mean by that, if you grew up in the South, if you went bird hunting in the fall, usually it was an old flannel shirt, in case the briars hooked on it, and you didn't mind ripping it. And she usually wore that, and she she was pretty well endowed on the backside, and she turns around and slaps herself on her backside. She's looking at me and going, yep, yep, you're right. You're right, Brother Wood. You're right. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. And then she flips around, and she hits herself on her backside. And she goes, I want you to kick me right back here and just kick me right back here. And she just kept hit, hitting her backside with her hands like she's spanking herself. And I'm 20 years old, and it was all I could do. The Holy Spirit was on my leg because I felt it kind of, I think it raised a little bit. And I grabbed her by the shoulders, and I turned her back around. I said, now, listen, I'm not going to kick you back there. But please, if you've got any more problems with the church, just come tell me. Don't go tell my wife, and I'll, okay? And she goes, yep, yep, you're right. And she turns back around again and just begins to hit her backside again. And it's just <laughs> rippling, if you can see my hands right now in front of this microphone, and going, kick me, just kick me right back there. And I'm like... Grabbed her again, turned her back around, and said, Now listen, I love you, but I'm not going to kick you right back there, even though I want to sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that was the person that, at the assemblies and all, she was the outspoken person. She'd talk out loud in a district assembly, and she would just say something just really loud and obnoxious. And it, I remember I told my parents one time, I was sitting in a district assembly, and I saw her walk into the church, and people, she, was, she had a reputation were so turned off by her, they were turning away from her. Wow. To try yeah. to not get her to sit by me. And yeah. I remember the Holy Spirit, I'd been her pastor, so I raised my hand to her and told her, I said, come on over here and sit with me. Mm -hmm. um, because that kind of, per per people like that always get a soft spot in my heart. Even right then, I wanted to kick her right back there. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said, there's just certain things you can't unsee, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's one yes. of those moments. And you so. know, to, since we're recording some of this, some of these things that laymen need to realize, don't go to the wife and tell them what the problem is. Right, yeah. right. Go to the pastor. Yep, yeah. It may help him to realize that there is a problem. Yeah. But it also may not be a problem, and he can explain it a whole lot easier. Yeah, amen. Like poor Lois there, she wound up crying yeah. over what somebody had said. Yeah, and it wasn't any reason right. for it. 
well, hey, we want to, uh, time's getting away from us here. So we want to kind of wrap it up. And we want, uh, I, I know a lot of people probably listening right now, they're going, hey, where's Shelly? Because um, we kind of have this joke on our podcast where we talk, we're, I'm bald and the beautiful. And um, I'm the bald, <laughs> she's the beautiful. So they're kind of wondering where the beautiful is. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to her, and she's going to kind of wrap this up. Uh, she's got a couple questions for you guys. Well, we have two last questions, and we'll start with you, Al. If you could say anything to the church congregation to help them connect with their pastor and family, what would it be? What I just said. Yeah. If there's a problem, yeah, go straight to the source. Don't spread it around to some. That's. I think that's one of the worst problems. Mm-hmm. People, it's called gossip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people, a lot of people don't. Oh, but that when I say it, it's not gossip. Mm-hmm. It Prayer is too. Requests. You don't realize. <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. 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 You don't realize it's right. gossip. Right. You know. Oh. Go to the person yeah. that the pastor. He'll be able to help them with it. And at least we've heard it all, you know, and we know to pray for them, you yeah, know, yeah. at least. What about you, Steve? To connect to the pastor and family. Yeah. Um, before, I've experienced more connection at this last assignment with the laity, um, especially the ones I've worked with so closely in um, family ministry. And they've taught me a lot. And here I am. I mean, I'm 34 years into doing this. And. I'm still learning, but I get still get texts of encouragement from the people that I work with, notes of encouragement. Um, I get it from my staff, my pastor. But um, for the laity, it would be to what we've kind of what we said: pray before you say. Mm. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, saying. pray before you say anything. Yeah. Um, and I mean, not not just pray for a little while. I mean, pray. If you're going to be critical of your leader, your 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 shepherd, man, there you better know. And right. I mean, a lot of prayer. Right. And um, yeah, because the Lord's going to he. Yeah, it he, doesn't usually go good because it doesn't help anybody. Right. Yeah, it's not going to help anybody. Yeah. Well, a critical yeah. heart is not of God. Right. So that's right. Right. You need to really check that. Right. That's good. Right. Why didn't you tell me that back when I was preaching? I know. <laughs> Should have been there, huh? Yeah, All that's right. that course you're supposed to be teaching. Right. <laughs> Last question. If you could say anything to the pastor to help them connect with their church families, what would that be? Listen. Mm. Listen. When somebody does start to say something, I tried after a while, right at first it would make me ill and I'd, I had one of these big mouths that I'd get them told in a New York minute, you know. And then after a while, the Lord really worked on me on that. Mm-hmm. And I learned, listen to what they're saying, listen to the whole thing and then say something. Because yeah. I'd wind up saying something too quick and you don't need to do that. You need to listen yeah. all the way through. Yeah, if I if I can jump onto that, because I'll be honest with you, if I'd have, if I'd have learned that uh, early on, mm-hmm. I'd probably saved myself a lot of heartache. Yeah, me yeah, too. Me too. Uh, I really would have. Yeah. Um, and so I think as we speak to any young pastor who might be listening right now, um, listen, it's it's scriptural. Uh, you know, be quick to listen, slow, slow to speak. To speak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think sometimes, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go along with the lines of what John Maxwell, I think, stated once time. He said, 
that you know not not every bit of criticism not not every bit of criticism is 100% truth about you if somebody's criticizing you but there is a little bit of truth in there somewhere and he, something's he, got them started something yeah. did and it could be just nothing more than a misperception Right. Or right. something you might right. have said or done or how they viewed you. And that's that little bit of possible truth. He said, but, but you know, not, not all of it necessarily is truth. So, yeah. Steve, how about you? Um, to help pastors connect is, um, yeah, uh, listen and pray for them and try to understand where they're coming from. Um, walk in their moccasins, you know, that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if I can add any more, though, to what you guys have said because y'all have kind of covered it, um, everything that I feel on that stuff. So. Yeah. Well, hey, I tell you what, this has been fun. Um, we uh, we do want to let you know that uh, we have a future episode that we are planning uh, with with one of the grandsons. And so we're, we're pretty excited about that. Shelly? I just have one more thing that I wanted to tap in there. Um, I sit here and I watched... Um, this beautiful family uh, talk about ministry over generations. And I also watched Beverly. And I know this has been, you know, I know people say behind every, and this, you know, coming from a pastor's wife, behind every good pastor is a good pastor's wife. But I see the tears in her eyes as she has lived all of this and the memories and you know, there was heartache, but there was also laughter and getting to see her grandchildren and her children and being in ministry with her children. And what a blessing. And not only that, a lot of, down Mississippi, see a lot of nieces and nephews yeah. that we saw come to yeah. our church. And You've ministered cousins, yeah, you've ministered to, to yeah. the whole family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's because of you and your legacy that you both have, you know, brought to the table has just been such a blessing and I can just see it all over your face. And Beverly, if you would like to say anything, you know, as a pastor's wife, you know, just to kind of wrap this up and, uh, well, um, I can say that it had not been for my mother and daddy and the, and the way they were, uh, I was raised in a little church in Magnolia, Mississippi and uh, I can remember times when there were problems in the church, but my mother and daddy never talked about it, never mm-hmm. never talked about it in front of us. We would know that there were problems, but um, and everybody that knew my dad knew where he stood. They knew that he was a Christian. My mother was a Christian. Uh, many times on Wednesday night, I've they would have a prayer meeting, and my mother would always stand up and have a testimony or something to just like, and you don't live through that yeah. without it doing something. Right, right. I've heard you both say that both your parents, neither one of them pastors, were board members, and you knew there was problems that went on at church, but then, your parents never came home and talked about never, the pastor. Never, my dad never, never said a word. Never talked about the pastor. Never. In front of the children. My daddy would my daddy, one time we had a pastor that... He thought it was a little harsh at times, and he would he would just put his arm around the pastor and say, "Hon, love us a little bit. <laughs> Don't fuss at us all the Everybody time." Everybody was hon to him. Yeah, <laughs> he, he said, uh, "Love us a little bit." And I was raised in a home where 
I mean, it, there was love there. You knew that you were going to church. There was never any doubt, you know, that am I going or am I not going to go? You knew you were going. Right, right. Now, it didn't affect all of my brothers like that. Uh, some of them did not, were not Christians. But my sister and her husband were, they were college very faithful, college professionals. And very, and I don't know, you raised... your oldest brother, ordained elder. Yeah, my oldest brother was an ordained elder. And when you're raised in a home like that, you don't get away from it. No. Never do. And dad's two brothers, the oldest was a missionary for the Church of the Nazarene in Swaziland, Africa. Married, um, after his wife passed suddenly of cancer, married a life career missionary. (laughs) And um, in fact, they wind up in Bourbon, Illinois ministering to my sons, having them over with all their friends that wow. came from Alabama. Yeah. Um, well, i tell you what. It sounds like there's a lot of history here, a lot of uh, tradition, uh, a lot of family. A lot of family. There's a lot to do. A lot of family. Amen. My dad, I'm telling you, everybody knew Mr. Jim Foreman in Magnolia, Mississippi. Yeah. Knew for what he stood for. My brother and he were on, would be on the street in Magnolia, and somebody would come up and say, uh, especially some of the men that drank a lot. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jim prayed for me, and my brother would just shake his head. Oh, no, because Daddy right there on the street. Yeah. We'd pray for the man yeah. right pray there. The Crying. Yeah. You don't get over something like that. Well, I tell you what, I, I'm going to close this time out with uh, a, a quick little funny story uh, because you just reminded me of that. And um, I, I think it's kind of fitting. We'll just end with a joke. Is that all right? That's fine. It was it was a, it was a serious uh, moment. Uh, there was a church uh, that was uh, they classified it as a cowboy church. Okay, and so they were actually uh, holding this church in a in a barn. I don't know if anybody's ever been to these or whatever. And so and it's really for the rural community and and people farmers coming in and stuff. And it's it's usually done on a on a on a on, a, on an off night, not like a Sunday or whatever, but another night. And so uh, there was there was a pastor that was preaching. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. Uh, I know a lot of people think pastors make stories up, but we don't. They're, they're basically truth. Um, but he was he was actually preaching one night, and uh, and had this other guy that was sitting in the, in the congregation, and uh, he was he was kind of just getting a little little uh, you know boisterous, right? And and he he said was kind of spouting back at the pastor, just kind of you know talking, wasn't mean or anything. And another guy in the congregation said, Jim, why don't you be quiet? And just, just so he, he said, Pastor, go on preaching. And uh, he goes, Pastor, he goes, uh, he get, the guy had hollered at him. He said, uh, Pastor, I apologize for Jim. He said, he, he drinks a little. And old Jim stood up and he goes, that is a lie. I drink a lot. <laughs> so, I'll never forget that story. I, I, I think I'd have had to close in prayer right there because I've just been done after that, right? I drink a lot. Well, I tell you what, this has been great. I think we've preluded the idea that uh, Steve will have you back with uh, your son, okay. which is the grandson who's also called into ministry. Uh, we're going to leave that as a teaser. We won't not tell you his name or anything right yet, but uh, we look forward to being back uh, with them at a later time. But uh, hey, guys, thank you so much for letting us be here with you in your house. Uh, they fed us uh, dinner tonight. That was wonderful. We really appreciated that. And uh, and they saved us on our diet, too. They kept us right there on our diet, except I did have a roll. Yeah, I did. He didn't eat his sweet potato. I didn't eat my sweet potato. Yes, I'm not a fan yeah. of sweet potato. He's a Yankee. I'm a Yankee, yes. <laughs> to all my Yankee brothers out there, amen. Hey, listen, this has been great being with you. God bless. 
And uh, until we're able to get back together again, take care.